Hi, Emmaus. Welcome back to the Proclaim and Display podcast, episode 35, where we help you show and tell the gospel to your neighbors and the nations. Kennedy, you're back. I'm back. How are you? Good. Tired, but feeling good. But you're here. Yeah. What do you I'm have here. in your hand? You have a, I have a Celsius. Celsius. Uh, some energy. I've seen today. a few of those in my house. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have some kids that really, uh, really yeah. like those. So, They're really good. So yeah. shout out to Celsius. Okay. <laughs> Today's podcast sponsored by Celsius. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A new One sponsor, of the yeah. Seven thousand new energy drinks on the uh, on the market. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, Jaren, because we have two guests here to, today. So, uh, Alex, Diane, thanks for being here. So we're replacing Jaren today. It took two of you. Okay, to replace that Jaren. makes sense. So, that yeah, makes that's, sense. That's, that's how that's how it goes. So, okay, jumping script for a minute. Energy drink, no energy. Are you guys energy drink people? Energy drink. Okay, so which, Diane is energy drink. Yeah. Which company? Or a brand. Whichever is cheapest. Oh, and gives nice. me all the jolt I need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she does the energy drinks like before she goes and works out or play tennis or something. Yeah. Um, I don't do energy energy drinks at all. Like a little bit of caffeine is all I can take. So like one Dr Pepper and I'm I'm good for the whole day. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. It's impressive. Ama- yeah. <laughs> and I also don't like sugar free stuff. So. Okay. Yeah. It's not going to, uh, no. it's not going to work. So, no. yeah. You know, I, I'm just not a big energy. Like back in the day when we would drive from New Orleans to Oklahoma overnight with the kids and, you know, trying to get back here, I would do the little like five hour energy, the little guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had a monster or a Red Bull or any of that but my Never. kids have made up for it like they <laughs> have more than made up for it so yeah they're they're all about it there's some crazy drinks like that on the market right now yeah, so it's super crazy when we were in georgia andrew got an energy drink and there was like i mean just very little caffeine compared to what we put in our energy drinks in yeah. america and that was kind of like oh man maybe we should watch what we're drinking <laughs> maybe that's too yeah. much yeah, yeah that's we amazing like, oh. so uh well, if you guys listening don't know Alex and Diane, we're going to get to their story here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, the three people around the table with me today, they do a lot more travel than, than I do. So I thought it might be fun if we talked about uh, a couple of travel things. Give, give me this. Give me um, a travel hack or tip that you really like, like a go-to travel tip. And then give me a travel pet peeve or nightmare like situation. So like, it's it's kind of a pro and con, good and bad type type of thing. So... Kennedy, I mean, you've been traveling crazy lately. Anything come to mind? I mean, I shared a few podcasts ago. I don't you know how did. long that was. Yeah, the yeah. foot swing, yeah. I mean, that's a game changer. I did it all this summer. It was just amazing. Are you guys familiar with the foot swing? I don't know Not the foot swing. Yeah, oh, so okay. it's a swing that you put on the tray in front of you, on the seat in front of you, and you can just rest your feet on it, and it's really comfortable. It's good for me since I have short legs, so <laughs> that's incredible. Also, I feel like the best travel hack is, like, don't worry about what you look like. Just, you know, put on that eye mask, put on all just the things the that plane. make you comfortable. That's great. <laughs> Any pet peeves? Any nightmares? Well, you had a couple, you you did have a couple of nightmare situations yeah, on this yeah. trip. So. Probably when there's not um, barf bags in the seat in front of you. <laughs> And when it's needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, just probably check that now every time you get on a plane, <laughs> speaking from experience. Nice. What about you guys? Well, I haven't I haven't needed a barf bag in a while on a plane, although I do get a little anxious. So I travel a lot, but that doesn't mean that I'm comfortable traveling. Those are two very different things. Uh, one thing I try to do is I try to stretch before I, before I fly because, you know, you get in the seat and you kind of start getting restless 
and your legs want somewhere to go. So I try to uh, try to stretch my legs, you know, kind of like soccer players do oh, when yeah. they're warming up yeah. for a game. So I'll do that like in the aisle before before takeoff, <laughs> and, then, and then I'll go sit down. And it helps my legs kind of calm down when I'm sitting. Smart. That's funny. I recently found we have, a, like, it's a little tablet cover, but it has some pockets at the front. And so it's been so nice to just, you have your chargers, your headphones, your Kindle, whatever you need is in this little bag that's ready to pop out of your backpack. Oh, yeah. And you put it on your seat, you pop that out, wow. you put it in the little po- seat pocket in front of you. And so you have everything that you need without having to dig all Sweet. The yeah. Tenderly. It is so nice. It's, it's been nice. Like and traveling that. with kids, like double, oh, yeah. doubly helpful? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much. Any, any, go ahead. The, the best travel hack with kids is when they're seven years old and older, then they take care of themselves. Because <laughs> before that, it's, yeah. it's really hard. Yeah, it's so hard. Now, yeah. our youngest is seven. And so yeah. it's a lot easier. Yeah, that's so great. Any any pet peeves, like nightmare, just like, oh, man, I hate when that happens. Propeller planes. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I fly a lot in Colombia. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, normal airplanes with jet engines. But sometimes it's propeller planes, and sometimes it's a single propeller plane. Yeah. And, and you really need that propeller to keep going. Is, so. <laughs> there is nothing that can make that feel better until you land. Oh, my word, yeah. I always get a little peeved a little bit whenever I see the person start taking off their shoes oh. and then start taking off their socks oh. and just getting oh, real nice. comfortable and I'm like you do realize what's been on that floor for probably a decade and never been cleaned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with their 12 Ooh. minutes between people leaving the plane and people coming back on, it's not getting clean. No, <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's a fantastic one. Okay, Alex, you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, Columbia. So before we get to testimonies, and Diane, I want you to share your story in a couple of a couple of minutes. Give us the really quick overview of why in the world you would be on a propeller plane in Colombia. So uh, tell us what you guys uh, do, how you serve, set the stage, and then we'll jump into testimonies and background, things like that. Yeah, so we're IMB missionaries in Medellin, Colombia. It's a big city, uh, but we also go out to the jungle quite a bit uh, to do our ministry out there, reaching out to family and friends and the communities where the people are from that we're working with in the city. And so that brings us out to the jungle quite a bit. Um, And not a lot of people want to go out to the jungle, so large jet airplanes don't fly out there. So there's there's two cities that we'll fly out to in the jungle. There's the capital and then there's this coastal city. And we'll take little tiny uh, eight and 12 seaters to go out there. Nice, nice. How long have you guys been on the field with the company you've been serving? We've been with the IMB for 11 years, and the last nine have been in Medellin. Okay, okay, fantastic. All right, we want to hear more about that, but I want to back up because one of the best parts of the podcast and what people really enjoy is just hearing your stories personally. How did you you go from trusting in Christ to being at this point? And so I know there's a long story and a short story of that, but Diane, tell us a little bit about God's work in your life. Just back it up as far as you want to, trusting in Christ, God's work and even gotten you to this point. So Yeah, I would love to. Um, my spiritual journey, my faith journey with Jesus started when I was about six. I grew up in a very Christian home, brought me to church every Sunday. And when I was about six or seven, um, you know, I just heard all the gospel message about what Jesus had done on the cross for us and, you know, knew that God was the creator of the world, that he was the one true God. And so when I was that age, I put my faith in Christ and decided I knew I believe what Jesus did on the cross for me. And so I got baptized when I was about seven. But over the years, um, especially in my teenage years, I was very, very rebellious and just really fell away. 
I rejected Jesus as my Lord and Savior, God as, as the ruler of my life. I wanted to be my own ruler. And so for many years, I followed my own path. And all, the whole while, I believed that God was was definitely in charge of the world <laughs> and that he was Yahweh. That He, I believed everything the Bible taught, but I didn't follow it. I wanted to follow my own ways. But it was about when I was about 19, 20 in college, I had pretty much gotten to a bottomless pit of sin. And I, it was one day after, after a pretty terrible night of sin, and I just heard God say, are you done yet? Hmm. And I said, yeah, I'm done. I do not want to be my own ruler because I'm making a mess of it, and I need you to be my ruler. Please be my king, my savior. Yeah. And from that point forward, I just felt this complete change in my heart like that the Holy Spirit, that forever change word, there was no going, no turning yeah, back. Yeah. And so from there, I plugged into um, a church and a university group at my college and started getting real plugged in. Praise the Lord that my parents had raised me so much in the word that I had a great foundation sure, yeah, great that, my, yeah. that my faith was able to grow and mature rapidly once I was, you know, had the Holy Spirit yeah, guiding yeah, me yeah, yeah. and pushed me forward and had other Christians around me. To what college, me. what college ministry, what do you have? Yeah, I went to Tarleton State University in Stephenville. Go yeah. Texans. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's the other purple Texas university. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah, so they had a great, um, at the First Baptist Church there, had a great university group and just plugged me in immediately and we're all about discipleship and learning God's word memorizing it and so just set me off towards going to seminary afterwards and so amazing yeah, yeah I love that I love that so Alex what's your story how does that work so uh, I grew up uh, mostly in in Norman Oklahoma and uh, I was always in church Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night um, and I remember one Sunday night, I think I was eight. I may have been nine though. Uh, at first Baptist Moore, we nice. were in church on Sunday night. Absolutely. So, there you so go. this yeah. is, this is how, you know, we were always in church and yeah. we were in church on Sunday night and, uh, the preacher was preaching about, uh, revelation and the great white throne judgment. And, and I thought about, um, all that I'd learned in church up until that time growing up. And I'd never even really considered how it affected me. I all, I believed everything was true up until that point about Jesus, uh, about God, about people, but I'd never thought about myself. And so that that night, uh, the Holy Spirit just brought to mind everything that I'd heard before, and I realized that at that judgment, I was a sinner and I was going to hell because I uh, I knew that that was going to be the punishment for my sin. So I don't know what else happened during that sermon because the Holy Spirit was working on my heart, just bringing together everything I'd heard before. And, and I repented of my sins and trusted in Jesus. Uh, soon after that, my family moved here to Emmaus. And so I really grew up uh, here at Emmaus uh, as, a, as a kid and as a teenager. Um, and was slowly growing in my faith during that time. Um, but then when I got to college, I got around. So I, I, in, at the University of Oklahoma, you see the, the vast difference between light and darkness. People aren't pretending that they're Christians. Yeah. You know, uh, So that was kind of the hard thing in high school is everybody kind of pretended sure, like sure, they were okay. Yeah. Uh, but then in college, 
there was this decision like, are you really following Jesus or are you not? And I got around some guys through the OUBSU or BCM yeah. that were following Jesus, that loved the Lord. They were reading their Bibles. They were memorizing scripture and they were sharing their faith with other people. And it was just amazing to see what kind of impact the light could have in the darkness. So Were these Max Barnett days? Oh, these that, are Max Barnett oh, days. Oh, you, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Yeah. So he was such a I mean he was a pillar of that OUBSU BCM for for a long time. So I was trying to think who were some of your student ministers here at Emmaus? Like what time would you been here? Who okay, was, so who was my in my youth group days, it was like a year of Michael Staten. Yeah. So at the very beginning of my youth group, I had Michael Staten and then uh, Adam Harwood yeah. and uh, uh, Darren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so man, that you ran the gamut. Like, <laughs> yes, that's not bad. I did. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good setup right yeah. there. So that's that's a lot of fun. So I assume you were uh, Diane. You were telling the seminary piece of that. Is that where you guys meet at seminary or? Yes, it was. It was a great missionary dating center. So. <laughs> That's awesome. We That's met in evangelism class, so it was kind of the perfect start to our missionary marriage. So. Oh, I didn't share about how I, my call to missions. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, growing up here at Emmaus, obviously I was at Falls Creek every year and I loved Falls Creek. It was a great time, great friends and just a lot of fun. But when I was uh, 14, the, the speaker was speaking about missions, and I just sensed God's call that, Alex, this is for you. You're going to be a missionary. And I was planning on being a lawyer, so I told God no. I, so this is vivid, vivid memory. And the next day, I sensed God calling me to missions again. So now this is Tuesday. And I said no again. And then the third day, I sensed God called me to missions again. And I said, if this is really what you want, then fine, I'll do it. So like that night, I went forward when they had, you know, a decision time and talked to somebody about, about the fact that I was submitting to God's call to missions. And I just felt this peace about it that has never gone away. God, yeah. God called me to that. Uh, talked to youth ministers, came home, told my parents. They were like, you know, we were praying about this recently. We thought God was calling you into the ministry. We've just figured you'd be a pastor, but if he's calling you to missions, then yeah. that's great. Yeah. So it was super Love cool how, how God worked that out. Um, so did then, you guys have that conversation in evangelism class, like soon after? Uh, yeah, how'd that conversation yeah, go down? <laughs> I'll go out. So. We can back out of this piece. <laughs> I did a podcast with my wife a few months ago, and we had a back out of a couple of conversations. So. <laughs> now, this one's this one's a safe space. It's, okay, it's you okay. guide this however you need to. So after evangelism class, he asked me out on a date. He had introduced himself in the class, but then he asked me out on a date after the class had ended. And our first day, we're sitting down to dinner, hour one. And he goes, so just so you know, I'm called to be a missionary. So if you don't have that same call, we shouldn't go on a second date. I was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and what's your last name again? Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. yeah. So I was like, okay. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, yeah. I was like, well, I felt like God lead me to keep going out with him. So I was like, I guess God, you're pushing me towards missions. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting first start. No, I love, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and it um, all worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. <laughs> We've been married for 13 do. years and 11 of those on the mission field. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Wow. You know, I think people hear missionary or IMB missionary or whatever, and it could not be fuzzier or grayer in our minds of like, okay, what exactly does that mean? And 
And so I'll ask the impossible question, which would be, hey, what's a regular day, you know, for you guys look like? Which <laughs> there is no question. regular day. I know that's the answer to the question. Set the stage for people, though. Just if, if someone was to ask, what do you guys do in Columbia? How do you answer that question? And, and then what does that look like? And Diane, I know your perspective will look different than yeah. Alex's. Yeah, and so, so I'll just throw it out there. What do you guys do in, yeah. in Columbia? So we're in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting among tribal Indian people groups, native people groups in Columbia. So this is working with minority population. Uh, the majority population generally has the gospel or has access to the gospel, but these tribal peoples don't. Um, so... You know, one thing that we're always trying to do is share the gospel with people. Um, and uh, so like on a Sunday, our Sunday looks, you know, somewhat like a Sunday here. If you had a, a very small church, we have we have our church meeting on Sunday. So that's, that's how Sunday goes. But then during the week, um, what I generally do is I am setting up meetings to go all over the city of Medellin to meet individually with people or meet in small groups with people to uh, share Bible stories. So we're working with oral peoples who either can't or don't read. Um, so we have to share the gospel in a way that they can listen to it and understand it. Uh, and also they're coming from very little to no knowledge of the Bible coming in. So they really need that narrative base of the Bible. So uh, I'll go meet up with one person in one part of the city um, and share a Bible story that's that's really usually directed at where they are in their knowledge of the Bible or in their spiritual journey. Like if they've already committed their lives to Jesus, we'll be working on Bible stories that are uh, directed at discipleship. So is, um, this isn't strict chronological Bible story. You more so we picky. use chronological Bible yeah. storying. Chronological Bible storying is the basis of everything that we're doing, but it's not all that we're doing. Okay, so yeah, that makes sense. Once yeah. somebody has that, you know, twenty or forty story base that's chronological, then you can fill in those gaps with. Uh, what they need theologically, let's yeah. say, to accept Jesus, or what they need to be able to walk with Jesus if they've already given their lives to him. No, that makes sense for sure. Mm -hmm. So what's that piece look like for you? You know, my weekly schedule has changed with the children's ages. Yeah. So when they're babies, I'm at home a lot. Sure. And yeah. it, my main focus is family. But with them being more consistently at school, it's especially this past um, January to June, uh, it, it changed a lot. Monday nights, I had a um, women's Bible study, youth storing, but on teaching the theology of women throughout the Bible. And so it, it involved some of the young girls from the, the church, um, some indigenous university students came as well, trying to teach them what is a woman, what does the Bible say a woman should be, and how what should she be in the church. So taught that. Um, also going out doing some visits, whether it's traveling up the mountainside to the slum to go visit um, two young girls that are not in school yet and they don't know how to read, but they're 13 and 15. And so going to use Bible stories to bring God's word to them, but also help them learn to read so that they can enter school and get better opportunities. Um, or going downtown to meet a woman that's selling jewelry to disciple her. She's a new believer. So it's just kind of when people are the women, the women are available and in safe places that I can go. Another day might be grocery shopping takes four hours. And so that's my morning is <laughs> yeah, grocery that's shopping. Little, yeah. So yeah. It, it, for me, it, it varies yeah. what, when people are available, what the kids are doing. So I just 
go when I can. Yeah. yeah. Kids doing international school, local school? National school. school. They're national all school. Spanish. Okay. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. They're good bilingual kids. <laughs> so talk a little bit more. I, I know you've talked to me about this a little bit, but I'm still fuzzy on it. And, and I know people listening, I'd be curious. You're talking about minority people groups, indigenous people groups. Bad relationships there with uh, nationals. Like, what is the what's the dynamic there? Is it is it tense? Is it what what's going on that complicates that? Yeah. That so piece? the nationals, the regular Latino Colombians, would be descendants of Europeans who who colonized Colombia, or descendants of the Africans that were brought over as slaves. So those would be your your larger Spanish language only people groups. And then the minority people groups uh, are the ones that have always been there as the tribal peoples. And so there, there is maybe a little bit of animosity, but it's not really significant in the you colonized us and so we hate you kind of thing. It's not really like that. Really, it is that the indigenous people are in a lot of ways invisible to the majority population. Okay. They don't even notice that they're there until they start causing problems. So... Uh, Colombia has lots of problems that we're not going to go no, into no, today. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they've got so many problems that as long as the indigenous people aren't making a, a ruckus, then they're kind of just going to leave them alone and not even notice that they're there. And the problem is when it comes to the gospel, that's that means that these people aren't hearing the gospel from the churches that are actually nearby. So uh, we've... Uh, we've been trying to mobilize the Latino churches for for the lo- last 10 years, the whole time we've been yeah. in Colombia, um, and have seen very little fruit up until this last year. They just weren't interested in going out to these minority people groups. They're like, well, they speak a different language. Uh, we don't know how to reach them. They're so different than us. And uh, the majority people groups don't necessarily like the minority people groups. Uh, so they try to just ignore them. But over the last year, God has changed the hearts of some of the uh, Colombian Christians to actually see the need and the desire to go out and share Jesus, that the Jesus that they know, the salvation that they've already experienced, and share him with the next people group that's actually just right next door. So it's been super cool. We got to send out um, some partners that worked with us for a little over a year and uh, and we got to and send them out national, to the jungle. Some Colombians. Yeah. So super cool That's story huge. how yeah. they came in. They were watching a David Platt sermon. Um, and uh, and then at the end, he was like, you know, if you have any questions, contact the International Mission Board. So they contacted the International Mission Board. <laughs> and then they sent their information to me. I got in touch with them. And they're like, hey, we want to serve Jesus in missions wherever God's calling us. How do we do that? <laughs> and I was like, well, great. <laughs> yeah. I, I love this. Do I have an opportunity? For yes, <laughs> yes. So come to our church on Sunday. That's how you can kind of see our ministry. And then we'll work on actually getting you guys plugged in and, and working in the ministry. But first you need to come. So they did, and they they faithfully served with us for over a year. And then we got them hooked up with a Colombian, small Colombian missions organization that reaches out to these indigenous peoples. And they actually, this year, we sent them out to the jungle and they're living out in the jungle in one of the little uh, kind of towns in the jungle ministering to these tribal people groups. Wow. That is huge. I, I know people hear a story like that and be like, oh, that's cool. But like for IMB work and mission work, that is 
That's massive. Yeah, especially like after happen. years yeah. of like basically begging the churches to come alongside us and they wouldn't do it. Yeah. And then the last year or two, it's like, hey, we see that you guys are doing this work. We want to get involved too. How can we get involved? Yeah. And it's like, let's do That's it. Great. Diane, you guys have um, other partners on the ground, other IMB, other other partners. What does that look like yeah. for just having encouragement and yeah, we have about five years ago. For five years, we were alone, just Alex and I in the city. And so God, praise the Lord, provided um, teammates because we noticed there was one people group. The work was just too much. And we noticed there was one people group that needed specific focus. And so God brought the Burkhalters, Travis and Beth. They went to OBU and so got some Oklahoma ties. But they joined us from the Amazon. They spent seven and a half years in the Amazon with lots of rich experience reaching unreached um, indigenous there. So they joined us in the city and they're working with another type of um, Embedda indigenous group and started the Embedda Bee Project. And so yeah, they're yeah. doing some awesome, awesome work with, with this group and among the Embedda with us. So I love that. And love we've that. had uh, a couple of other shorter term partners. So we had a journeyman that worked with us for two years and he he just left the field to go to seminary. So he finished his journeyman term. We're very happy to have him. And we also just sent back home a Mexican national partner uh, that, that's part of this new program called uh, GMP, Global Missionary Partners, where we are mobilizing international people to work with IMB teams around the world. So she, her, she just is finishing up her seminary at a seminary in Oaxaca, Mexico, and uh, in in missions. And her local church sent her with the IMB to come work with us for six months in Colombia. So that was super cool. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of a, a big prayer request, I'd say, for the future is uh, praying for these global missionary partners to be able to work with our teams, uh, to be able to serve in ways that the American church has been able to for a while, uh, but maybe even to go beyond what we can do. Uh, it was so cool because, you know, she showed up and the first day she already spoke Spanish. She didn't have to learn <laughs> yeah. Spanish. Yeah. Um, and she'd already worked some with tribal indigenous peoples in Mexico. And so when she got to Colombia, she actually kind of knew what she was doing. So like two weeks in, she was like doing the ministry full on. Yeah, it was great. great. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I knew pieces of your story. It's been fun to fill in the gaps. That that's kind of emerged in the in the end of the conversation. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Like that, when you think about the future of IMB, future of mission work around the world, it's it's seeing the full body of Christ, the global Absolutely. body of Christ engaged. And I know we've seen glimpses of that along the way, but I just know don't know that we've ever quite gotten there in terms of IMB. But Man, that makes me excited. Like, yeah. God is, God is moving in that yeah. way, and it's been so encouraging. It's a big focus of the IMB right now is really, you know, making full use of the full body of Christ, becoming more international, helping international churches see how they can partner with the IMB in this. And, um, yeah, that's, that's been a blessing. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Diane, amazing. how can uh, Kennedy is going to pray for us here in, in just a moment. How can we pray for, for you, for your family? What What's on your heart? And then I'll ask the same question to, to Alex. So Yeah, I mean, short term, pray for our kids as they adjust to a new school, to doing it all in English, some things that they don't know, culture they don't know. They're very nervous about leaving Colombia because they're like, we're Colombians, we're not American. And so just... Pray for them and pray for our believers that we left behind 
Um, they're feeling very isolated and alone because there's so few of them. And so that they would just meet together, mm-hmm. that they would get through, get outside their comfort zone, meet together, that they would stay faithful, stay in the word, and that other national Colombians Christians would come alongside them while we're, you know, fill in that gap while we're while we're gone. Yeah, no, that's great. Mm-hmm. Alex, what's on your heart? What are you thinking about? Yeah, just for our our believers that they would really spend time in the word and in prayer. That's uh, they're they're very communal. And so when when you take some of that community aspect away from them, it's hard for them to see that they still can spend time in the Word, either reading it or listening to it on their phone. Uh, so just pray for that uh, um, that push from the Holy Spirit yeah. in them. Uh, and our our partners just got back in Columbia from vacation, so the Burke Halters are back there. Uh, so pray for them as they're continuing that work with these uh, unreached people groups. Yeah, Kennedy. Um, Talk to Emmaus a little bit. Just you process the conversation. Think about the work you're doing, leading us in, in mission work. What would just initial takeaway? Mm. Just kind of talk to your church family. Uh, yeah. Provide that good leadership that you provide, and and thinking about missions, and then just follow that up by by praying and and wrapping up the podcast. Yeah. But what would you want to share, just kind of based on what you've heard and what you're thinking about? I'm super encouraged. I don't feel like I've heard either one of your stories yet. And so that was really fun just to hear your stories. And um, just that reminder that like God calls just ordinary people to do really extraordinary things um, in the work of the gospel. But I love how you guys both talked about um, the concept of storing and just how you use Bible stories and telling them orally, because I feel like that's a good um, just tool for all of us as believers to have to, you know, really study the Bible, but figure out like, hey, this is another evangelism tool that we can use right here at home. Um, And so that's just really encouraging to hear just how storing can really impact people to see the gospel, um, how you can point other people to the gospel. So if you haven't, you know, talked about storing yet, I think that that's a great place to learn, um, to talk about evangelism and to learn how to evangelize. So I'm really excited that you guys are here and you guys will be around for a while. So yeah, we'll be here for five months in Oklahoma. Wow. That's great. So hopefully people will get a chance to meet you guys and have personal conversations with you too. Definitely a plug to like, if you want to share Jesus with people and you don't know how to do it, memorize a Bible verse that you can share with them, memorize a Bible story that you can Mm -hmm. share with them. And that's a great way to share Jesus with your friends and your neighbors. Yeah, that's good. I love that. That's good. Yeah, well, I'll go ahead and pray for us as we wrap up. Lord, we thank you so much just for who you are and for how you work in different parts of the world, but specifically in Colombia, God. God, we just praise you for the growth um, that you're bringing about in the church, that you're bringing about in believers among the area, God. God, I just pray specifically right now as Alex and Diane are here um, in Oklahoma for the next several months, God, God, I pray that first you just bring rest for their family, that you just bring encouragement, um, and that you just provide them a time to um, just reflect on you or on who you are, God, so that way it um, just continues to compel them to do their ministry um, back in Columbia, Lord. Lord, we pray for their church. We pray for their believers that they've been um, just discipling, God, that you continue to bring um, other believers in a community around them, God, to continue to just pursue your word, pursue your work that you're doing in Columbia, God. Um, God, I just pray for their family, um, Alex and Diane's kids, as they're starting school 
school and just all the changes that that brings about. God, I just pray that you calm the nerves of their kids and calm the nerves of their family. God, that they would see this as an opportunity just to rest in you over these next several months. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you, Emmaus. We'll see you soon.